Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 27 of the JD Outdoors podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JD underscore outdoors 1773. My guest today, my guest today will be Kyle Patrick. You can follow him on Instagram at K underscore G underscore P underscore fishing. A lot of underscores. Today, we will be talking about his trip to El El Salto along with his favorite technique from the trip. Then we will talk about his upcoming upcoming tournament season which is going to be a blast so how are you doing today pretty good uh you know i'm thanks for having me on the show it's always fun to talk fishing with a, with a buddy so exactly. i uh, appreciate appreciate the, your time and i'm stoked to uh stoked to be here yeah we were talking a little bit before the show and like just instantly within seconds of the camera being on we're like down a rabbit hole about fishing already which that's the way it should be so yeah exactly let's keep it fun um exactly but you know it's kind of becoming a job a little bit um i'm just you know because you gotta at some point sorry to jump right into it but like i'm just realizing at some point you have to monetize your fishing and whether that's winning tournaments or you know being an influencer on social media or finding a way like you with your with your lure company or you know your social media endeavors it's just like you got to figure out how to make a living while fishing and you know so i'm i'm actually you know working um right now you know prepping the boat that's all fun stuff right but like working under um a couple a couple pros that i've connected with um through different connections and uh just it's fun but it's it's definitely like i'm i'm up late like actually doing work to try to get sponsors for them and like sort of you know working basically for them but also for me because i'm following my dream so it's a good it's a good mix of both good balance yeah exactly so uh, just to start do you want to give us a little background on your fishing career how and when you started fishing yeah so i talked about this i I went on the podcast with bailey um uh i started fishing when i was god i couldn't even tell you six years old probably off a dock in cooperstown new york i would just throw worm i would catch a crayfish put it on the hook and then throw it under the dock at this resident bass and i would catch him like every day over and over again and it wasn't then that i realized i was obsessed with tournament fishing it was when i moved to a different house um on otsego lake and i would watch like you know every you know two weeks out of the month there'd be a tournament going on and the bass boats would fly down the lake and i was always like what is going on right this is when i was like 12 um and i finally like figured it out went to the weigh-in and like just talk to these like 50 year old dudes like these local club dudes and i was like you know this is awesome like they would give me some baits and i would go try them and be like oh my god these work so well and that's how i sort of like brought all of it together started fishing tournaments um, met my good good friend who was a uh, very helpful in teaching me fishing jim o'brien talked about him in the uh, prior podcast too um, and we just went out and started fishing tournaments and tournaments like i would sign up i spent so much money on entry fees like everything i had i would work all summer and just spend it on tackle and entry fees out of my little bass tracker that i was uh you know blessed enough to get from my from my parents um instead of a car they bought me like a used bass tracker and uh so i just strapped that to the honda pilot that my mom had and just sent it all around upstate new york you know i only won like my first season i think i won three events but i fished like 20. so it was like terrible ratio and then um you know it progressed from there and obviously this past year i had a i had a sick sick year um i i won over 15 grand i don't want to shoot too high but i know it was over 15 grand um fishing in upstate new york so it's sort of you can see the progress and it's just great to to like feel like you're accomplishing something um yeah, yeah. so you got me on a tangent there again but no, you're, yeah, you're, that's, you're, how, that's how it started no um, where where do you want to take your fishing because obviously you know we, we you you and i have talked about what uh we want to do with fishing but you know yeah i mean so to me i i go big or go home like if i'm not doing if i'm doing something i'm doing it as hard as much as often as possible um so i mean i was sort of when i graduated from i graduated uh, college from hobart in uh, geneva new york 
and I chose it because it was near the Finger Lakes, obviously. And I just was sort of confused because I was like, I really love fishing, um, but I just don't know like where I'm going to go with it because I didn't know that if I could become a professional angler or like how it all worked. Um, but then I just decided, you know what, like I've got nothing to lose. I'm 23. I am just, you know, living my best life. So I just decided to go for it. Um, and it wasn't really until my dad connected me with, um, my mentor now who's helping me, uh, in the fishing industry, his name's Paul Pagnato. Um, that I really was like, all right, this is what I want to do. I want to try to make the elites um, someday. It doesn't necessarily have to be this year. I'm fishing three central opens as a pro and then the northern and southerns as a co, just so I can learn as, as well as like we talked about marshalling the elites. Yeah. But, you know, it sort of has come together and I dove right into just, I want to make the elites. That's the final goal. Um, and, you know, it's not going to come easy, but it, it's, it's something I think is attainable. And um, as long as I'm fishing a lot, I live in Virginia now. And so it's, it's pretty easy. It, it, it's accessible. You know, I can go to New York, I can go to Florida, I can go to South Carolina, you know, it's, it's super and driving for me is nothing these days. I, eight hours is like everyone else is four. It feels like, cause I just do it so often, but um, yeah, I want to go all in. I want to see what I can do. Maybe take I got to set a limit because at some point, if I don't make the elites in 10 years, I'm not going to just keep pouring money into it. But um, I'm going to say like probably five years, I'll give myself five years to try to make the elites. Um, so this year, I'm going to try to learn as much as possible. Mm -hmm. The main goal this year is to learn as much as possible and have nothing like blocking, no techniques in mind. I just want to go open-minded, forget everything, forget my success in New York. That literally does not matter at all. Um, because I'm going to marshal all these elites. I'm going to learn just incredible amounts. Then I'll be a co-angler and sort of apply it. And then, you know, in between with the three central opens, try to just go, go for it. And if I made it this year, it'd be insane, but like super unlikely because these guys are absolute hammers in the, in the opens. Like I just read an article, actually, I don't know if you saw it on Wired to Fish about just how good this the Bassmaster opens field is like people don't like it's gotten progressively harder over the years with the introduction of electronics um different techniques different rods like specifically designed for that angler I mean all of these factors play a role into how hard it is to win a tournament because everyone has like you either I, I mean the youth movement that's all that but like everyone has everything so dialed that you just have to be a little bit more dialed than the next guy. It's just, it's, you're going to get me on a rant here again, but it is, it's, it's, it's just so hard to win one of those open. So it's kind of unrealistic, but we'll, we'll see. We're going to give it a shot. And I have confidence in myself for sure. Exactly. All you can do is try and, you know, having that confidence is key is, you know, it's, it's, it's like other sports, which no one ever compares it, which is weird to me, but it's, it's just like football. It's like any other sport you have to have the confidence to make that play you have to have the confidence to catch those fish like if you're not if you're not yeah. confident, then you know you see it happen teams fold and then you know you're out yeah and then the other thing is like i like people say fishing's luck and you know everyone who's probably gonna watch this podcast you me everyone in the bass fishing industry knows that's bs complete horseshit but I mean, to compare it to sports, like, I mean, the mental side of it is another huge thing. I know you had talked about with me before the, the podcast, like staying positive um, during a tournament or just all these tiny things factor in. It takes a lot of mental energy to compete at that level. Um, it also takes a lot of confidence and it takes knowing when, like, you know, you've made the wrong decision and you need to learn from it. And that's a huge thing, I think, is is not being too confident to the point where you're cocky, where you're, you're not soaking in as much information as possible, because then you're left in the dust. So it's a fine line, you know, um, and I think that's every angler, even if you're KDD, um, should obviously have under their belt is like the ability to learn. So. And another thing, just to mention what talking about it, comparing it to other sports, unlike most sports, we're out there for eight hours plus in the sun. Right. So, it's like, you know, you know, 
what, what are average games in, in, in sports? You know, like a, what, a couple hours max? Yeah, but you know, you got to defend. I know they're running around and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Being in the sun for eight hours straight oh, I know. is just, especially, you Dude. know, you're practicing and stuff that week before, and then you go, yeah. and it's nice and hot out. Right. So here's, I'll play devil's advocate, and then I'll come, I'll, I'll stay with you. Devil's okay. advocate, I was a soccer player for four years at Hobart. All four years I played. That, those type of sports where you're physically exerting yourself so much, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And I don't think you can even compare it to fishing, although fishing is is just as hard, but in different ways. Um, so, you know, you can't even compare. But when people say it's not a sport, I do agree that they are completely wrong. Yeah. Um, completely wrong. Um, but like, then you look at fishing and I just feel like you have to spend more time to be the best. But maybe that's not true. I mean, it's so hard. It's just so hard to say. Um, but no you look at, but but then again, you look at like, so I placed 14th on that Harris chain at the team trail championship, right? Looking back on that experience, I put so much time into that tournament because then you have to also factor in traveling. You have to tra factor in waking up at five. Like I had 10 hour days on the water because you were only allowed three pre-fishing days. So I had like 10, 11 hour days on the water because it was sun up to sundown. You had to be in. So that's like, say 10 hours. That's 30 hours of pre-fishing in three days. And then eight hours times three days for the tournament. So like, it's not like a soccer game where it's 90 minutes. Yeah. It's like, you have to be on it for two weeks straight, pretty much. That's what makes them so different. Yeah. So it, it's, it's more, it's more of a lawn haul thing than it is especially yeah. once you're getting into the elites it's a lawn haul thing you know weekend anglers it's more of a, a sprint so to speak because it's a one-day event but when you get yeah. into having three days of practice you know three to four yeah. tournament days it's insane but and then you think about like one day tournament two-day tournament how about a three-day tournament like you're not only pre-fishing for a day you're pre-fishing for three days so now you have to factor in all right is this a, is this pattern or technique or spot or, you know, um, uh, whatever you're doing, is it enough to sustain me for three days? Or do I now have to go out and find a backup, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D? Oh, what if, what if there's a cold front that's coming? How are they going to respond? Like, it is crazy how much just mental energy you need to like be successful. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And, and a lot of people don't think about that, that side of it. Um, you know, those who are super serious, I, I think, take that into consideration, but just how the little details of the, the weather or line size or all these things that go into fishing that people don't think about. And some of them yeah. are just, yeah, I'm out fishing, you know, I know what pound test I'm using, but they don't really think, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, but they don't think, you know, I wonder if I lowered uh, if I went from 10 to six pound test, you know, drop shotting or something, how many more bites I'm going to get or something along those right, lines. Dude, everyone's guilty of that. I mean, if you say you're not guilty of that, like even if you're the best angler in the world, you're, you're lying because like everyone gets locked into a pattern a little too long or um, does something to ruin their tournament day uh, or, or, you know, throw them off in some way. I mean, that's just fishing and that's what makes it so hard. Um, but then you got to have the ability to bounce back and realize you've made that mistake and change. That's what key is like on learning from your mistakes. I mean, but then you have days where you go out on the water and you don't even think you're like, Oh, that dock looks good. And you flip under and you, there's a nine pounder and you're like, Oh, oh well, <laughs> and then like everyone praises you for it. And in reality, you're hiding behind the fact that you had no idea what you were doing. You just happened to catch one. Like, like that is literally the story of Rick Clun in not that saying he's not a legendary angler, but in that one in um the past what what tournament was it? It was uh, uh Bass Fest, Texas Bass Fest or whatever. Um he he said on stage, he was like, I pulled up on a dock and I caught 29 pounds or whatever he caught. I think it was like 26 or somewhere in there on one dock, and I just didn't know why. And then you saw throughout the tournament, he shit the bed. But like, it's funny how like, then you have those magical moments where you know nothing and you, not that he doesn't know nothing, but 
you know, you randomly come across an area and it has crazy fish on it and you have no idea why. It, it's just, it, it's funny how it works like that in your favor, but. Yeah, no, it's so much goes into it that yeah. it's really, you, you could, we could make a, a five hour podcast and right. we're not even going to scratch the surface. Oh, I know. I know. You know, it's crazy. But, uh, so obviously, uh, as I said in the intro, you had a trip to Mexico. Yeah. That was in uh, November. Yep. November yep. you went. And uh, so tell us about it. You know, did you catch catch a lot? What did you learn? Well, yeah. So it was, I was, I'm very thankful to, to Paul who, who helped me like get there um, and, and just provide an amazing experience there but uh so the thing about El Salto is like it is actually a bass fisherman's paradise like unbelievable and I gotta thank Half Pass for his cast um uh Pete Robbins and his wife Hannah Robbins um he's actually a writer for Bassmaster um they run a company that it does trips there and they're awesome at planning it and just making the experience great for you. Um, it, it's just there. It's phenomenal. Um, so if you, if you or your buddies like want to plan a trip, they do like all kinds of like, you know, deals with you and like figure it out with you. So it's a really good company. Check them out. Um, quick shout out. But uh, yeah, so that, that lake it's, it's El Salto is, is something just so special. Like the minute you walk up to the lake, you're, you're lodging on the lake. Um, the minute you walk up, there's just thousands of tilapia fighting at the surface. Like literally like our guide was like, yeah, look at this. He threw out um, a jerk bait and went one, two, three. And he had two tilapia on the, I, I was like, dude, this is going to be ridiculous. Cause there's just so much bait and yeah. so much tilapia in that, in that lake that to be honest with you, you can throw just about anything and catch a 25 pound bag every day, like literally every day. Like you rake your P if your PB is under seven pounds, if anyone's PB is under seven pounds, they'll beat it at El Salto. It's crazy. Um, but you know, we talked about you, you had asked me before on the podcast, what sort of baits that like, I, you know, fish there and like what I learned and, you know, the swim bait obviously played a factor, but I think, the jig really sort of um, was the sh like shining, like the gem there, uh, at least when I went. Um, and it was because it sort of mimicked, you know how like the jig, you know, there's the, j the jig sort of mimics crayfish, but it also mimics that sunfish sort of dying sort of deal. Um, and they just seemed to love it. So I, I used, I, I used a dirty jigs, half ounce, um, uh flipping jig and i swapped between black and blue and the water got a little bit stained um which is obvious and then the uh green pumpkin blue flake in those clearer parts um and it was just on like i can't even tell you like you'd throw a cast four pounder throw a cast six pounder i mean double ups like it's so loaded with fish. It's hard to say that the jig was the main reason we were catching fish because you could just about throw anything. Like we were at one point, we were drop shotting. It, it was these, there's these giant trees like that the, you pull the boat up to like in the middle of the lake, giant trees that like split and have all kinds of um, like branches and things for these fish to sit on. So we were drop shotting lizards straight down the tree in like 25 feet of water and just bouncing it and just getting the bite and i mean you could do anything but um the jig caught the biggest fish for me which was like i think it was like eight seven and a half maybe eight pounds um i i, I didn't weigh it officially yeah, weigh. it was giant i mean it was giant yeah you saw i posted on instagram it, yeah. it was giant but then the guy the day before me caught a nine nine four right outside the lodge like and they're just, <laughs> these fish just grow different there. I don't, I, it has to be because of all the tilapia. I actually don't know the specific science behind it or why. I, obviously the weather, I mean, it's pretty much always nice, like 70s plus, um, but the tilapia have to be the answer. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. Like 
people flock, it gets stocked. So it gets stocked with tilapia because people like, there's nets all around the whole lake that you have to avoid when you're fishing, tilapia nets. And then they sell them in Mexico City. Like it's, it's very interesting, that ecosystem. Um, it, it's crazy, but yeah. So that El Salto trip was a once in a lifetime experience. I highly recommend for anyone. Uh, it, it's definitely on my, on my bucket list. I it is not that much. It's not that much money. You'd be surprised. It's, yeah. it's good. It's, I can't say it's not that much money. It, it's like, you could do it for uh, under 3k. Oh, that that seems reasonable to me for a right. Uh, that's what I mean. Like, I so if that. you if you find the right flights and you book through half past first cast, you could do it for a pretty affordable rate. Um, so I, it's a cool thing. I, I would check check them out. It's awesome. I mean, it, just just for a little bit of comparison, imagine just driving from you know, say where you are to stay in Buffalo for a, a tournament. You know, a two day tournament that's going to cost you, you know, if you had to get a hotel room and all that, you know, oh, yeah. cost you a few hundred bucks gas and all that. Oh, that'll so, cost you a grand, I bet. I mean, yeah. yeah. So right. for a few, for a few thousand dollars, you know, that's nothing to go to Mexico no. and catch <laughs> yeah. giant fish. And, and catch a giant fish. Like, and I can't promise, and they can't promise you you're going to catch a 10, but yeah. if there's 30 guys there, someone will, yeah. or someone will catch a nine plus. Like, and, and I lost a giant, a giant on a swim bait. Like they, and the funny thing is I didn't have swim baits they were biting on. They were biting on just regular storm pre-rigged swim baits. One ounce. Yeah. Oh dude. It was, I was rolling it, set the hook. The the fish jumps in the air and the guide and Paul both go. And I was like, Oh, and he spit it. And I was like, no. And the guy was like, that was 10 pounder. I was like, Oh no. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy, but I mean, just an unbelievable experience. And it goes to show that, you know, we look when we're really into bass fishing, we look at baits and, you know, a lot of people, certain jigs have to have a certain amount of this color, certain amount of that color to be absolutely perfect. Right. And then you're, like you just said, you just threw a, a storm pre-rigged swim bait out there and they were munching it. Right. And, and some days, I mean, you can, that granted that's El Salto, but yeah. you know, some, some days, if you find the right presentation and you're on the right fish, you don't need anything special. That's why you have guys like, for example, on the Sandy Cooper in, on the elite series, there was a guy who was catch, I forget his name. I wish I was better at, at memorizing these guys' names. I know a lot of them, but this one guy was catching them just on a wacky Senko in the cypress trees, like just normal sort of, you know what I mean? I mean, not that, you know, Brandon Polnick's out there drop shot and catching seven pounders on like random isolated structure, but like in 20 feet, granted, that's how you win, but you can do really well and be successful fishing simply. Like I firmly believe if you find the right deal, but you know. No, and I, I got to agree with you because that day that we went out fishing on uh, Anna, it was just, you told me you need like three rods. So I brought them. We yeah. ended up using, we didn't even catch any on the wacky rig. All we needed was the jig and we were just doing golden. Yeah. Like, you probably, what was that? What was that pig? 588. Yep. 588, dude. And, and the funny thing is, this is what I, I see. I, I think about that fish a lot more than you think. And here's why. Because for me, going to fish the northerns and southerns as a co-angler, mm-hmm is going to take a lot of patience. I will learn a lot, but it's going to take a lot of patience because I've never not fished from the front of the boat. Cause when I was 15 and a half, I got a bass boat and I never, I have always had one since. And it's very fortunate, but at the same time, it's going to be really hard for me to not make the decisions and not have the first cast and not, you know, be at the front of the boat, like doing everything that I normally do. But, you know, it's, you can't, I had to really, really remember, like, even a cast six inches difference can be the difference between a 588 and nothing. Like, I flipped right near where you flipped on that fish and didn't get bit. You flipped right back in, maybe like 10 inches to the right or left. And that's the difference between throwing the jig behind the fish's tail and in front of his face. So I think about it a lot because that's how I really have to approach these opens. You can't 
give up on used water as fast as a lot of people do. And I think that's a big thing for, for guys fishing the opens uh, as a co-angler and just any tournament in general in the back of a boat is, yeah. is, you know what I mean? Exactly. So like if, you know, I'm fishing with my dad, I'm on the front of the boat right in the back and there are days where he will outfish me like by far and i'm just sitting there and i'm like i don't understand so then you know you dissect the day as you're driving home and you're like well duh he was using a longer leader or something like that right and i was just using a short leader but you know maybe they wanted that because the water was uh more clear that day and it's just you can learn a lot from people in the back of the boat or, you know, vice versa. Cause you know, yeah. you always try something a little different if you're not getting bit and, you know, just like that experience you and I had, you know, we were just messing around and all of a sudden you caught one on the jig and then we were just like, all right, let's pick up the jigs and just boom, dialed in instantly for both yeah. of us. It's, it's not like you caught a few more fish, but it's not like you outfished me like an insane well, weight wise, weight wise, you outfished yeah. me. That eight. I mean, I probably had what I had like a three pounder and a couple twos. You had like a five, a two, you know what I mean? And like another three or whatever it was, but yeah. that was, that was that was a sick day. Yeah, no but doubt. Yeah, just to show you, like, it, it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's weird because most of the time it's hard to transition from being a co-angler to a boater yeah. um, because, you know, you got to, f- those, those, the huge thing about bass fishing is those split second, you know, sort of hunches or decisions that you make. Like, you know, the classic one is like, uh randy howell like i just had that overwhelming feeling to turn around and, and tie on my livingston like that's the classic like like scenario where he like just turns around in the middle of the tournament but it's honestly the amount of times that people have won tournaments just saying you know what it's that dock or it's that i i should move out here 20 feet i have a feeling about this depth like Brendan Polinick with that drop shot fish that won on the Sandy Cooper, or like I won like four grand on Cuca this past summer because I was, it wasn't because of this, but it certainly helped. I was ripping down the lake, like 62 miles an hour with my buddy, fins and feathers fishing, Jimmy. And I go, yo, Jimmy, we're going to stop here for a second. I take almost a U-turn and come into this dock, flip in four and a half pounds, smallmouth, four and a half pounds, smallmouth under this dock. And this is a, this is one of those tournaments where you like it's like 16, 17 pounds and to win the second day. Or I'm sorry, the first day. And uh it's just we were both like, that's so bizarre because it looked like such a terrible dock, yet there was a four and a half pound small mouth under it. And it, it it's just that hunch, that weird decision that you have to sort of get tuned in. Like you you have to be comfortable enough with yourself to say, like, I trust myself yeah. to do this. So that's one of those t- tough transitions to go from the co to the to the front versus what I'm struggling with is like having that hunch but not being able to do anything about it. And that's why I, I'm very excited to fish as, as a pro. So these guys can put me in my place and, and remind me that I know a lot less than these guys do because I know I know so much less than they do. But maybe I'll surprise myself. Who knows? Yeah. I only did one tournament this past year as a co-angler. I did uh, the St. Lawrence tournament for the fed. Yeah. And, uh, I learned we, we didn't, we didn't, we zeroed, man. I'll be honest with you. We zeroed, but really, I learned we could have turned fish in. We could have. Oh, okay. Not a bag, like respectable, like, right, right, so, right. you know, we're, we're fishing and I'm watching him and he, he's got the 360 up front. So I'm kind of like, he was looking over his shoulder, trying yeah, to yeah. see what's going on with that. And I'm kind of, you know, we're fishing deep. It's summertime and, you know, uh, on the St. Lawrence. So you're fishing deeper and I'm just watching what he's doing and I'm looking at his rods and I'm just absorbing everything. And, you know, we caught some fish here and there, nothing respectable, but I learned so much, even though we didn't do great or good even for that matter. And I learned so much from that day. So it's just any experience you can learn from it. Yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be so, it's such an enlightening experience for me, I think. And uh, especially just being amongst like some of the greats, like I'm going to be like literally marshalling the best anglers in the world. So I'll be doing what you did. Obviously I can't have a rod in my hand, but I'll be watching everything and just soaking it all in. And I, and so I'm also learning a lot about social media. I mean, I'm starting this YouTube series um, 
that we'll see how it goes. It's going to be super random and it, it may totally fail and I may get nothing. Um, but I'm going to do a YouTube series about like, you know, being on the Bassmaster Opens and marshalling the elites, um, two separate things, marshalling the elites, there'll be a, a sort of a YouTube series for it. And then uh, fishing the Bassmaster Opens, a YouTube series for it. We'll see if either of them pan out to be anything, but it'll be cool to just document it even for my own sake, if, if no one else likes it, but. Well, if you eventually need a camera guy, let me know. Cause that would be <laughs> Yeah, no, well, I'm actually going to be the camera guy for Chad Morgan Taylor. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm actually the one trying to trying to learn that deal. But, yeah. but uh, I mean, I know enough, you know what I mean? But I'm no, like, I'm not going to have like $10,000 camera equipment. But yeah. Wow, well, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's something special. This is going to be a good year. Yeah, a lot of traveling. My girlfriend's not too pumped about it. But yeah, um, yeah it, it'll be, it'll be very very electric how many people get to do it at 23 years old nonetheless so right that's the thing i'm very lucky i'm very lucky very very lucky so we we touched upon this a little bit earlier but i kind of wanted to break down the bait a little bit more and get uh specific on it uh the jig you know you mentioned a a dirty jig half ounce in the green pumpkin blue flake yeah rod wise reel line what are you using trailer all that yeah so pretty much i stick to um uh, obviously douglas rods uh i use seven six x matrix or seven four i'm sorry a seven four x matrix um medium heavy super super awesome rod um i I use it for a lot of things i sometimes use it for big swim baits um but in during el salt the trip to el salt i used it for my jigs um the dirty jigs half ounce like i said um for the trailer you know i used a couple so the zoom um like just or i'm sorry the packet chunk the net bait packet chunk i i would use that when i felt like i wasn't getting enough bites sort of downsize a little bit and then the rage craw obviously i i I mean that's my go-to dude if i do well in any of these centrals opens it'll be because of the rage craw i i love that bait and that's what i to be honest I think 80% of the tournaments in upstate New York this past summer were won on a dirty jigs half ounce with a rage craw. So it just goes to show you like the, the, the crayfish bite in New York is just top notch, but yeah. So that's the jig setup I was using. And, um, I think for line, I, I use, see, I go all out with line. I, I buy Tatsu. It's so gosh darn expensive. And every time I buy it, I, just i'm like god that hurts the bank account but it just does not snap and it's so clear so smooth i want to get sponsored by them someday at cigar because they are they make such good line um and i know people like sunline and there's a lot of other line companies but 25 pound test tatsu has the same diameter as 20 pound test berkeley so you're getting the same diameter in 25 pound fluorocarbon that i have rarely snapped if ever so i was using that comes off really smooth i can skip it well under docks near cover um obviously if i'm punching i'll go with braid uh with the jig but i usually don't punch with the jig anyway um but yeah so that's that's the deal that was that was the deal i love the seagar line as well the only thing is with their braid i wish they had a yellow instead of the green i'm just not i like high vis braid but i'm just not a fan of that green for some reason you don't like high you don't like oh you don't like their green i don't like their green no i like the i don't have a power pro who makes it um power yozuri yozuri the yozuri yeah yellow like i love that why do you like yellow i've always wondered why people have yellow i can see it the best right that's fair enough i see that because like when i'm drop shotting or something super sensitive i like the the you know the brighter braid i've used white before as well because i think it like you know against the water it stands out yeah yeah i just you know for that you know, if I'm flipping or something, you know, people have experimented with it. I've seen fighter do it, uh, flipping with the neon braid as well. That way you can see it, but he ties a floral leader. So yeah, dude, I just can't get behind that. Sorry to cut you off. But I just, You're good. I can't, I can't get behind uh braid to fluoro flipping. 
I, I just feel like that's the weak point. It's the weak point for me personally. And I know people will say, oh, you're crazy. But like, that's just my humble opinion. I think if you're going to flip, go braid or go for a carbon, depending on your situation. And, and Greg Hackney said it the best. He's talking about, <laughs> he's talking about, he's like, I don't know why people are afraid to use braid because your jig has a two inch piece of wire sticking up for a weed guard and the fish aren't not biting it because of that. So why does it matter that there's that much line, you know, or like when he talks about like people cutting their, their like excess line, when you tie a knot, you know how there's that excess line, people are like cutting it so close and it's like, just, just cut it, get, leave it some space. It, it, it's all good. You're, it's not like you, if you're fishing deep weeds, it's not like you're not going to get the bite or it's structure. So on that, like just from what I've experienced, I can't get behind that. But the high biz braid, I do hear you on, on like drop shotting, like, cause I know that's big. I, you know me, I'm not a huge deep water guy, but, but the drop shot, I feel like braid is is the deal yeah definitely i haven't used it that much but yeah well i'm yeah, taking your word you, it's definitely awesome uh yeah I've, I've just been trying to find and i I've, i used the uh the stealth gray i think it's called and the uh smackdown is it from seagar yes i think braid so. yeah seagar smackdown and i love that stuff that's silky smooth and that that was really nice this year on a few of my rods yeah how long do you keep your braid on man i'm not gonna lie i'm lazy i've left it on every year for a year right yeah you know i think i don't think there's a problem with that yeah me mentally i just can't keep fluorocarbon on like dude i'll i swear to god i'll change it every tournament yeah i'm Uh, not i'm nowhere near that no 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 but okay let me rephrase that every like what I'll do is like for the central opens, those three tournaments, I'm going to have new line on everything. Before. Yeah. And I don't blame you there for sure. It's just too much money on the line Yeah, to, to not invest like 50 bucks or 60 bucks or a hundred bucks to win 40 K. It's like, come on. Um, but like for upstate New York tournaments, like what I'll do is every tournament, I'll strip some line off, cut it, retie. I just, there's too many tiny little errors that can happen within that line, like a tiny little nick that you don't even feel when you rub your hand up it, that I'll just pull off like, you know, 15 feet or something and then tie the jig and be good to go. So I don't know if that's what I just can't like confidence wise. It may not even be necessary, you yeah, know? Yeah, that, that's true as well. A lot of it is that. And I think like you said, with cutting it so close to the knot, that's probably confidence for people as well. Even if they're not like right. knowingly doing it, they're mm-hmm. probably like, Oh, well I've cut it this way every time and I get bit. So why wouldn't I do it? You know? Right. No, it's, just, it, I mean, again, like we talked about in the beginning, it comes down to like just understanding what's going to make you better throughout the day. If that is buying $60 worth of line to make you more confident and and make you feel better because again staying positive is the name of the game like you could be totally you know shitting the bed and as long as you have a positive attitude it can change within 10 minutes yeah. you know it's all about not giving up the whole thing like my guy Canelli can pr- preach that all he you know he does um but yeah that's that's it confidence yeah, I think this year especially for me is going to be one of my best years because I think gear wise I have I'm going to have the proper stuff yep. you know, for everything. And I'm really getting well-rounded in my equipment. And as for the line, you know, because I haven't wanted to invest in it, right. I've just been using red label for two years now. Yeah. And don't, it's not bad line. Whatsoever. No, no, I'm sure I'm it's getting the, uh, what is it? The Invisex. Yeah. This year I'm getting the Invisex for everything. Uh, just you know it's a slight upgrade but i've heard such great things about the invisax so yeah. just i want to try it and see what happens yeah dude and you'll you'll probably get that little bit of extra like okay i'm like i'm feeling good about my line my reels my rods yeah. um are you gonna fish any like like you know finger lakes opens or anything like that so um with my club i i haven't seen the schedule yet but you know we're probably i hope so at least this year gonna head out to cayuga uh, you know, we do Canisius and Honey Eye every year, so we'll get out to those. But um, 
for the Fed schedule. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I believe they're on Cayuga. And uh, maybe it's Oneida, I think, for one of them. I want to get to Cuca this year uh, for sure because I've heard such good things. What, yeah, from you. And, oh, dude, you got to go to Cuca. So good. Never been. Never oh, been. it's so good. It's it's stingy, but it's really good when it's on. It really is. Yeah. Uh, we also did uh, – which one One is it? Is it hmm. – one of the finger lakes uh it's not um, is it is it more west or more or or more east it's more west i believe uh, uh it starts with the sea no um Oy, no uh canadagua yeah canadagua canadagua and man i i just sucked that day i zeroed it was just my dad caught one bass at the end of the day that didn't even measure and you ever try going up in those creeks like those little like I'm not creeks, little inlets that they have at the end. Like oh. I saw it on Google Maps. I've actually, believe it or not, never fished Canandaigua. I just I only fished it that one day, and I didn't have much time to do research or anything, so I kind right. of went blind. But I was like, you know, I've done good on tournaments before where I go in completely blind, so maybe that'll work. And right, does. I'm just looking at it now. There's like there's like little like there's that one like um, marina type like. Um, it's sort of like a, uh, it's in the town of Canandaigua. Like there's like a, if you look in here, I've always wondered and heard good things about it. See that the little inlet? Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's I way always, at the north end, right? That's what? Way at the north end? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember there's a big that. river that like kind of, or a river or outtake. I don't know what it is. It goes all the way back. And sometimes do like sometimes that's the deal yeah, i've heard it's like dock central up there so like that would definitely be something cool to go check out and uh, i almost did it at the end of the day just because docks were my only confidence i had and we that's where we caught the one fish on the lake so i was like probably should have gone and done it but you know what tournament was it or i mean sorry what won the tournament oh boy uh you know like 15, 14 pounds maybe okay, okay. so it wasn't like a a big bag no 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 okay um, okay yeah and i th i think some guys were even turning in smallies if i remember correctly uh and it, it, it was a learning experience that's for sure because yeah. when i got there i just wasn't expecting the lake to lay out how it did right i was expecting that i knew the north end was shallow but i didn't think it was shallow for that far and yeah it, there was a lot of sparse weeds too when i was there in the north end so it's not like i could even just you know have confidence that they're in the grass it's like right dude th this I, I i regret not going out on this lake this summer because it looks awesome it, i mean not you know i don't know how it fishes like i said i've never been on it but i've heard of some pretty big bags like 20 plus coming out of there occasionally yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that too and i th i think uh in the north end for sure i think in the springtime i want to go back would be killed oh, yeah. because it's just all rock right so like those smallies are going to come up super early to spawn on those yeah. rats so i i think in the springtime if i went back i would be able to catch some but just in the summertime i was lost so i know a lot of people caught them in the south end of the lake so for me i got to go check that out because right. it just so many people were down there and catching them that it was kind of stupid for me yeah. not to go try it out yeah then again, it's the little decisions <laughs> and, and you, and like, like you said, at least you figured that out. Like, that's just a step every time I think just to bring it full circle, every time that I have a realization, like you just did, I sort of mentally log it and, and apply it when needed or when, when I sort of have a situation similar um, and even if not that, just remember it and, and, and sort of try to like grow from that, even though it's really hard because every body of water is so different, but if you have enough of those, Oh, what if moments or like, I should have done this moments, they'll come together and then you can like piece it together off of that. That's, that's sort of like what I've been yeah, trying you're just to do. building the puzzle. And, um, I have a fishing log that I keep. And I write down, you know, the water temp, all the details. And at the end, I do like a little paragraph of how the day went. And That's smart. I need to start doing that. A lot of the times I look at it, or even for that tournament on Thousand Islands, like I wrote down 
like notes throughout the day. You know, if we were moving spots, I would t- type something in the notes. And that way I was, you know, I didn't want to forget it. And when you write it down, I think it's like when you write something down, you're 90% more likely to remember it. Right. So for me, it's kind of just cementing that in my brain. And then I can look back. So now when I'm up on the St. Lawrence again, in whenever it was August, I know what to do more so. And I can look back and, oh, the water temp was, you know, 72 degrees or something, you know, and I'm faced with those same situations, you know, the night before the tournament or, you know, whatever, I can look through that log and I can even type in, you know, water temp 73 degrees and it'll bring up all my times that I've never fished it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, I I should start doing that. That's a really good idea. The one you just keep the basic information, it will help. Right. The one thing I worry about though is like how much things change. Yeah. And 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 I I I, I'm so guilty of this is just making decisions based on prior uh like experiences. And I was guilty of it during the Harris chain. I, I, I could have won that event. I really could have with, with, with uh, Jimmy, I could have placed really, really high. Like, I mean, I've got 14th out of like 148 or 150 or whatever it was. I could have been top five had I not had a preconceived, like um, uh, sort of thought process behind certain canals. And I, I, it, that's what killed it. And then, so it's really, like I said in the beginning, it's such a fine line of having past knowledge, but also like not sort of going over the top with it. Yeah. Yeah, You got to find that, that blend. And I definitely, as everyone is, is guilty of, you know, past experience, you know, you go to your favorite lake and you fish that dock every time because and you know a lot of the times you end up disappointed you're successful but you like and sometimes i feel like sometimes like like don't tell me you don't have that one spot where you go and you're like i'm gonna catch a fish here oh exactly but you're just confident spots you know like yeah uh, just ever everyone has those and you know and some days it pays off and sometimes it doesn't but when it doesn't pay off is when you've got to go back to the drawing board a little bit and say okay let's not freak out here, but I know that I can catch them this way somewhere else, or I can catch them somewhere else in a different, you know, technique or different yeah. depth. So exactly. exactly. But uh, a few last questions to kind of wrap up the show here. Cause you know, we're, uh, we're getting, we keep getting on these uh, side changes. <laughs> I, I told you yeah. it was fine with me, fine with me. Uh, but two questions and then we'll you know kind of shoot the breeze a little bit more but uh what is your favorite snack on the water i fished with you for a day i did not see you eat so i don't know dude i you know it's funny when i fish i don't eat that much and it not not saying i don't eat because you got to eat because you at a certain point i mean your energy has to stay up so what i will say is Paul Pagnato introduced me to bulletproof products. Okay. Probably never heard of them. You will soon because they'll be helping us along here. Um, unbelievable, super like uh, they have proteins and collagen and certain vitamins and like they have bars, like really healthy. What's um, it called again? Look them up. It's called. <clears throat> bulletproof they make bulletproof coffee oh okay it came up yeah so i'm pretty much going to start just exclusively using those products um super high in fat so like and and their coffee doesn't have mold in it not so this sort of relates with snacks but point to answer your question bulletproof bars and and protein in in water i literally put protein in water it's not much it's enough so i can just get that energy um but back to the bulletproof they make coffee that has no mold in it so the mold in coffee is apparently really bad for you um and so they make like a mold free coffee and there's certain ways to make the coffee and you blend it up with you know you can you can do it based on what your diet sort of yeah. is like you know but but i mean this coffee's you don't sacrifice taste and there's no mold i don't know much about it i'm just telling you because i just recently learned um but it's a they're a badass company 
And, yeah, I'm and, looking like, at it right now. They got a lot of stuff, so I'm going to have to dig in a little bit more after the episode. Yeah. But I'll definitely give absolutely. that a look. Um, and then uh, the next uh, question is, do you have any tips for staying positive on the water? We kind of touched upon it a little bit in the episode, but. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it again, it's such a fine line because you don't want to be too positive because if you're too positive, I feel it can bite you in the ass because if you're too positive, you won't make the proper changes. So every tournament I go into, my mindset is I need 20 pounds. And it was the, it was the, it, it basically defined this year. Every time I went out in the water on a tournament, it was, I need 20 pounds. Even if I was on a fishery where I knew 13 pounds was going to win it. I it's always, in, it's literally ingrained in my mind. I need 20 pounds to win this tournament. That way you're never stopping. You're never slowing down. You're trying to figure them out all the time. So that's sort of how I stay positive. And it kind of can hurt you too, because then you're like, oh, I only have 14. We're going to lose, you know, but maybe you'll win. But then it just, you know, progresses. But yeah, I think it's that mindset of just, you know, I need 20 pounds to win and I can do it. Like I, I can catch 20 pounds. It's only five, four pound largemouth or smallmouth, you know? Um, and I know there are some exceptions. Like on the St. Lawrence, you need like 25 pounds in a four day tournament or 20 six or 28 but i mean the gold standard on pretty much most bodies of water across the united states are 20 pounds mm -hmm. and you know obviously there's the st lawrence with 26 and then there's maybe um lake know, erie with a 29 pound bag right i mean it, it and then there and then you have like the days on lake anna where there's 12 pounds that wins the tournament yeah. so that's going to even it out and i think 20 pounds is that bar that every every tournament angler whenever they go out on the water in any tournament should say i need at least 20 pounds period and that's sort of what helps me stay super positive is is knowing that i can and it's achievable and you just have to think like that that's a good goal to set and that's that's something unique that i have not heard yet uh as an answer so i appreciate that that's awesome and uh you know when you have high hopes and expectations you know sometimes you're going to get let down but when it does work out it feels all that better exactly Exactly right. All right. Well, I want to say thank you for being on the show today. Uh, I learned a lot as I always do talking with you and I hope the listeners learned as well. Uh, is there anyone that you'd like to shout out? I know you have a lot going on this year. So if there's cool. anyone that you want to get out there. Well, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, shouting out my Instagram name. Um, I got to get the word out. I'm doing all this stuff, but uh, yeah, I, I would say shout out to um Former baptized, his, his name was baptized Gravy, but it's Fins and Feathers Fishing. Give him a, give him a follow on Instagram, um, and follow Chad Morgan Taylor if you don't already. I mean, that guy is a stud on the Elite Series, and he's doing big things. He's he's gonna be a dangerous, dangerous factor um, on this year's Elite Series. Uh, so I give him a follow on Instagram. He also has some, you know, pretty sweet videos. Uh, he's got he's good. He, it's, he's a good dude to follow on Instagram. So. Give, give them a follow. All right. That's all I have to say. All right. Thanks, thanks, man. And uh, thank you for listening and stay tuned for episode number, what will it be? 28 of the JD Outdoors podcast brought to you by Wu Tunston, X Zone Lures, and Rike Outdoors. See you later.